this is a question to ask yourself every time we come to the house of God, every time we come to the word of God, every time you open it in study for yourself, this is the question to ask. And so this morning, I wonder how many believe that the word of God is about to right now change your life? Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good response. If you expect that, you won't be disappointed. If you expect the word to be alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, if you, if you expect the word to be truth and that that truth will set you free, you will not be disappointed. So that's why we're approaching the word. So let's get to it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now who obtained mercy. I wonder how many are excited for mercy this morning. That's, I tell you what, having, being people who have attained mercy, there's nothing better than that. Once you become aware of your own sin, of your own failure, of your own uh, relationship being estranged from God, and you realize there's mercy from God, that changes your life. I'm excited about that. But he leads off that text and says, but you are a chosen generation. See, moments before that, He's been describing those who are disobedient. And then he turns it all and he says, but you. This spoke to me, it grabbed him, it almost reached off the page and slapped me in the face and said, get your eyes off other people. But you. Because he's, he just said, he just got done saying, you know, there's those who are disobedient and they end up in destruction. But you. In other words, church, this morning, it does not matter what other people are doing. Some of us get caught up, we get discouraged, we get hurt, we get offended, we get, uh, we get down, we take it as a blow, we take it as an identity theft crisis because somebody did something and now we don't feel good about ourselves or like God loves us and we're down. No, 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 no. People can do any number of things and there's plenty of folks being disobedient. There's plenty of folks away from God. There's plenty of folks doing things they shouldn't do. There's plenty of folks who uh, will probably in this world continue to hurt you and make problems for you. That is the nature of a fallen world. But the question this morning is, have you turned your eyes away from them and on to you says but you what about you thank God when we stand before the Lord on that last day we will not have to answer for one other person but you so why are we trying to answer for all those people now why are we bringing the weight of what they're doing, what they're not doing, how they didn't help me, how they weren't there for me. Look at how they're making this mistake. Look at how they're ruining the world and that. But you, the real question is what are you up to? And so the Lord's bringing it, uh, the focus clearly on us and he says, but you, you are a royal priesthood. And if it's true that God is true and every man's a liar, then as a believer, because he said so. I am kingdom royalty. I am. I don't care if your religion's not comfortable saying that. 
You are a royal priesthood. You really are part of that royal priesthood. Doesn't matter what you feel like. Doesn't matter what you think or what you've been told. What it looks like when you look in the mirror to your eyes. You are learning from the word of God who he's created you to be. And we have to be told by the word because if we listen to ourselves, if we listen to the world, if we listen to the enemy, we'll hear every other thing that is wrong. So we look to the word and it always speaks the truth. It is always the same. It is always steadfast and sure. And the word says that I am part of a royal priesthood. Now, if that's the case, then I need to ask myself this morning, am I acting like royalty? This is... The identity God has given me, covered in the blood and cleansed by the regeneration and the renewing and the washing of the Holy Spirit, is a new identity in Christ that makes me wrong. Do I act like? Are my standards of my life up to the standards of royalty? Am I living in honor? Am I walking as if I have authority over this life? Am I living as a royal person lives as in a place of influence where I make the difference when I walk in the room? Not where I'm influenced by everybody, not where I'm influenced by the world, but I'm part of a royal priesthood. When I come in the room, we get to say what's going to happen here. Thank you for your very weak response. It makes me concerned about the way you walk into a room. Because now I'm wondering if you walk into the room in a a little bit of doubt. No, if you're part of the royal priesthood, then when you walk in, you brought the authority of God's royalty with you. That means you get to say, the atmosphere in this place is not going to stay the same. The conversations in this place are not going to stay the same. The attitudes we have towards each other aren't going to say the same because I brought a higher standard when I walked in the room. I brought the standards of heaven in the door. Some of y'all parents and grandparents act like you don't set the standards at your house and your kids do. Sorry, you do. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. In other words, what you forbid is forbidden. And what you allow is loosed. And if you get a hold of this mindset of, no, I'm part of a royal priesthood. And I get to, gentlemen, I get to be the priest in my home. And if I don't want division, then we're not going to have division. If I don't want lewdness and perversion, we're not going to have it. Because Jesus didn't give me the authority of his name for no reason to never use it. No, we've been given authority so that we can bring it wherever we go. And it's certainly where you have influence like your family Places where you get to set the pace. If you're the boss, if you're the shift leader, if you're the teacher, then you get to walk in there with the royalty and say, this is how things are going, and we're doing this in a kingdom way. See, this is what the church has not been doing. We've been acting like we're not the, we're not the head, like we're the tail. Meanwhile, we have supernatural means and resources backing us up. Because if what I bind on earth gets bound in heaven, that means God will come to my aid when I stand for him. When I say this is the truth, he backs it up. I don't even have to back it up. He's the one that fights the battles. Stand still and see the salvation of your God. He's the one that does the work. I just have to bring the authority in the room.
That's our assignment as people of God, as royalty. So do you carry yourself like you're part of a royal family? Think about the different areas of your life. And as he always does, the Holy Spirit is attempting to guide us into all truth, to bring us into the reality of the identity that's been purchased for us as believers. Imagine if the world looked at the church and saw a body that lived up to their calling to be a royal priesthood, that we looked like children of God and a royal priesthood. Imagine if that's what the world saw instead of whatever they see when they look at the church now. Well, this is what God's doing. He's getting us there. For those who are cooperating, he's working. For those who are submitting, he's moving. And in many ways, as he moves us into our royal identity, it demands a revolution in our lives. Have you noticed when the Holy Spirit begins to work on you and work in you and convict you, it starts demanding a whole lot of change. This is the revolution. This is the royal revolution that is needed in our lives. It is a change. that we. Ex- you do know, for those who don't like change, which is a whole lot of us, For those who don't like change, you remember, you must remember, I must remember, that our entire walk with God is about change. When we enter this walk with God, 2 Corinthians 5.17 applies, that tells us that in Christ, I am a new creation. Old things passed away, all things become new. So that is a massive change. So as a believer, I have been changed. But then Paul told Corinth, you are being changed from glory to glory, as by the Spirit of the Lord. So I have been changed. I am being changed. And 1 Corinthians 15 says that when the Lord returns and we go to meet him in the air and ever be with him, that we will be changed. So my entire walk with God is about change. I have been changed. I am being changed. And praise God, one day I will be changed forever and ever. And so I I get used to the idea that Holy Spirit is bringing a revolution to my life and he's bringing me into this understanding of who he's created me to be. And so we are being changed. It is a total surrender, a total immersion in his ways instead of our own. It is the leaving behind of the flesh and the adopting of the spirit. It is the, I have become so convinced that God's ways are right that I'll put down my ways and take on his. Even if I don't understand them, even if they don't feel good, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's challenging, even if it pushes my faith, I will take on God's ways because his ways are higher. That is where God is bringing us and that is a revolution for our lives. And as we're journeying into this royal revolution, along the way we are allowing ourselves here to be shaped by godly royalty from the past. And there is a powerful moment recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3. In fact, it became a defining moment with God for a king named Solomon. Godly royalty, you will find, has unique and defining moments with God. Godly royalty. Godly royalty will have unique and defining moments with God. 
Let me give you some receipts so you can believe that. David actually had several. There was that defining moment when he was pulled to the house because the prophet had come to town. And the news is that he has, he's looking for someone specific. And he has examined all of David's brothers and not found what he was looking for. And to the point that he says, are there any others? Well, there's the youngest. You know, and he's keeping the sheep. I mean, we, you know, he's busy. He's, got, he's, he's working. But he's the youngest. And Samuel says, you're going to call for him. And they bring David to the house. And then they find out exactly why Samuel's there. Because God says, this is the man. And he pours the oil of anointing upon David's head in front of his brethren, declaring that he will be king. And then Samuel leaves. And in this defining moment with God, David's destiny is set in stone and revealed to him and those around him. It was a moment that shifted the direction of his life. There was another moment that David had that was a defining moment with God. He was all excited about bringing the ark home, bringing it back to Jerusalem, setting it up in a place so the presence of God could be honored again in the proper location. And they get to the threshing floor and the oxen stumbles and the cart kind of trips up a little bit. And of course, with good intentions, no one wants that ark to, to be damaged. And the man named Uzzah reaches out and steadies the ark. God strikes him dead immediately because this is out of protocol. This is not what was to be done. Of course, they were carrying it in a way he shouldn't have been carrying it in the first place. And this encounter with God also shapes David because David says, I, I can't bring the ark right now. I, he became scared of the presence of God. He began to see it in a different way. And he said, we're going to leave it at Obed-Edom's house. Now, eventually, they come back and retrieve it, take it correctly to Jerusalem. But it shaped David's perspective on the way we handle the ark, the way we handle the presence of God. It shaped him. It was a moment in God's presence that changed him. Josiah had a unique personal defining moment with God. He was the young, very young king. And you remember the kingdom was going along and then as they're digging through and preparing to restore the temple, they find the law. It hasn't been read to a king in a while. Josiah didn't even know what was in it. They bring it to him and he has it read to him. And he weeps and tears his clothes in repentance and humility and sorrow and anger because we're disobeying God and we didn't even know it. We've angered God. And this moment in the presence of the word of God changed Josiah forever and changed, changed the nation. See, royalty, people who ascend to the place where they walk with God in the way of authority and in the way of purity and the way of power that God is calling them to, one of the ways they get there is they have defining moments in God's presence. Hezekiah had one. Because he had been told he was going to die. The prophet walks out the door and he immediately turns his face to the wall. Humility. 
And he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord's response was, I'm going to give you 15 more years. The prophet turns back around, comes back in, and gives him the message. It changed his life because in that moment of humility between the king and God, God stepped in and changed his future. Kings are defined by personal moments with God, and I have made that case very strongly right now to bring you to this question. Do you position yourself to have defining moments with God? Do you put yourself in a position, wherever that may be, in prayer, at home, when you come with the attitude in the heart that you arrive at church with, wherever it is, do you position yourself to have an encounter with God that will define you and shape you? Or are you just living as you've always lived? Or you just try to do better as you go? Or do you put yourself in a position to where you say, I must have moments with God of consequence? I don't mean habitual prayers. I don't mean ritual devotions. I mean moments with God that are intentional to let him work. Let him speak deeply. Do you position yourself for defining moments with God because those who do, He will shape them, speak to them, give them direction. He will change them. He will empower them. He will place within them vision and direction they couldn't have had from someone else. Do you position yourself to have defining moments with the Lord? And probably the greatest defining moment of Solomon's life, the moment that established his legacy the way that we know him now, what we know to be his greatest quality, the defining moment that brings that about, 1 Kings 3, verse number 4. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And I will step aside from the forward momentum of this message to say, just for one moment, true royalty worships God. A kingly anointing has worship attached to it. You've heard me say before, I do not like to see pastors and preachers who are also not worshipers, who are waiting for their turn into the service so they can take a microphone and do something. Step down until you get a heart for God. Because the, before you were raised to that position, you had to, be, uh, you had to be a worshiper. You had to have your own relationship with God. And when you're taken down from that position, you will still need to have a relationship with God. So real kings are worshiper. True royalty worships. Well, I feel like all of that singing, all that raising of the hands, I just feel like that's kind of beneath. It's not really like me. It's not, I'm sorry. The man, the king, sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. He humbled himself and he generously worshiped. Now we resume, verse five. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, ask, what shall I give you? God actually asked Solomon what he should give him. 
Tune in. This is a really good part right here. This is the great test of royalty. When you can have your way, what way will you choose? When you're at the position to where you're in a place where you can have what you want, what is it you want? That exposes what's inside a person. See, that doesn't create that. That reveals it. That doesn't create your character. That moment shows what your character is. When God comes to the place, he says, what shall I give you? Because as a royal, listen, if you understand who you are in God, then you know you have authority. You know that behind you is the resources of heaven at your disposal. And you'll be put into situations where you can have whatsoever you say. As a believer, you have great authority. As a believer, you have great resources. As a believer, you've been invited by Jesus in John 14, 14 to ask anything in his name. So the question is, what will you ask? The question God asked Solomon reveals his character because royalty in God's kingdom is first and foremost about character. Royalty in God's kingdom is not first and foremost about your history and your lineage. It is not for, because God brought people out of obscurity to rule. It's, it is about character. And the f- question God asked to young Solomon reveals character. If you're going to steward the resources of God, if you're going to steward the people of God and the plan of God, your character has to be stable enough to support the weight of eternal things. Everybody wants to develop their gifts. Fewer people are excited about developing their character. The thing about gifts are they're given. You just receive those. Character you get to participate in. And if I'm going to get to the place where God can give me great responsibility, and I hope you want it. The world needs a church that wants to take the responsibility God has for us to take, to carry his gospel to all the nations, to be the salt and light, to be the voice and the ambassador of Christ. I hope that you want to take those responsibilities. But if you do, those are eternal responsibilities, and they carry weight. And there must be character for that weight to rest upon. Because if the character is weak, the foundation breaks. Because the reality is, new wine has to be poured into new wineskins. The old you won't do for what God wants you to be in the future. It can't bear the weight of it. In fact, it says, if you put new wine in an old wineskin, it breaks the skin and pours out the wine. So now you've destroyed both the skin and the wine. So this is why if you're walking through a time, I'm about to give somebody some hope. This is why if you're walking through a time where it seems like that God is dealing with you about issues in your heart, 
He's dealing with you and he's showing issues you need to correct. And he's challenging you and things are coming out that you didn't know were there. And you're having to pray and you're having to repent. And the Holy Spirit keeps convicting and you keep working. And then you hear sermons like this one and you think, oh, wow, more to work on. God is addressing your character because you're royalty and he wants you to be at the place to where he can put a scepter in your hand and let you be used to do something great. But before he does that, the character has to be developed. The day David got anointed, he went right back to the sheep. His destiny was secure. He's going to be the king, but his character wasn't there yet. And some folks try to short-circuit the character process, climb their way into some sort of influence or position or whatever, and then they end up falling out the tree and taking people with them. we got to let the Lord build the house. And the house he builds in me is going to be one built on character. So if he's refining you right now, if he's working on all those issues, don't get discouraged. He's doing something. He's up to something. He's building something. Because he wants you to be effective royalty in this earth. Now, If entrusted with the opportunity to ask like Solomon was for anything and receive it, would we, would we steward that opportunity well? If the Lord came down to you to where you knew for sure it was God, you knew you weren't hearing things, you knew this was the Lord, you knew it was serious, and he says, I will give you absolutely anything you ask in this moment, how would you steward that? Now, I know we're sitting here on Sunday morning and we're kind of, we've immersed ourselves in spiritual things today. And so hopefully you say, well, I would want, you know, every lost person to be saved. I would want to see my family. All. There would be wonderful things that you would want to come out of your mouth. But what if the Lord showed up in the middle of a great time of hurt or offense? What if the Lord shows up and says to you, I'll give you whatever you want. And it's a, mo yeah. it's a moment when you've been done absolutely wrong. And you're still feeling the hurt of that, the anger of that, the injustice of it. At that moment, how would you respond? If you're in a moment of desperate financial need and the Lord shows up and says, I'll give you anything you want, what do you want? Would it be easy to be spiritual and eternal? Or would it be easy to think about the temporal and the natural? This is a very loaded question that's being asked Solomon here. And it's worthy of us examining ourselves and saying, Lord, if you were to ask me, what could I do for you? And I can answer anything I want. What in the world would it be? In fact, I think, there's no way to answer that here. I think you need to go home and chew on it and be honest. What would my heart say? Because it's going to tell me about where I am with God. Could, you, could God trust you to answer in a healthy, godly way that would be beneficial to you and the people around you? That's the question. So now, this defining moment with God unfolds and Solomon begins to answer God's question. This is amazing conversation. Verse 6. 
And Solomon said, you've shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness and uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you've given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant a king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any be like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Solomon's answer here. Remember, we're talking about becoming a royal priesthood, royalty. What does royalty really act like in God's kingdom? Solomon's answer here is guided by, first of all, perspective. Our perspective will always inform our response to God. When God deals with us and works with us, the way we see things is the way we'll respond. We respond to things out of our perspective, which is why different people respond to different situations differently because they see it from a different perspective. But look at, David, look at Solomon's perspective. He recognized that God's hand on David and that his own reign is a fulfilled promise to David. And he sees himself as part of God's larger plan. So when we're responding to God as royalty, we don't see ourselves as the focus. We see ourselves as part of God's larger plan. We're a cog in the wheel. We're part of the body. See, when you're not royalty, you have the luxury. If you want to just be focused on you, you can be focused on you. You can be egocentric if you want to. Be prideful if you want to. But when you reach the place of royalty, there are now people who are dependent upon you. You now have influence that matters for millions of people. And the way you respond to God, well, it makes a difference. And Solomon didn't answer God based on what would be good for him, what he felt like. Let me just get a remedy for a problem I have. No, he saw himself as part of the big picture. Royalty sees that I am part of what God is doing, and I am responsible to take my place in it. I'm not responsible to just be a consumer of God's blessings. I'm here 
for a purpose. And God, I, I have to respond by making sure that whatever you do in me is going to help work out your plan for all people in the earth. Something else about Solomon, his perspective, he recognized his own immaturity and liabilities. He, reckoned, he said, I'm but a child. Now, he wasn't. He was probably around 20 years old here. He wasn't a child as an adolescent. But in experience as being king, he was a child. And he was willing to admit it. And then he goes on, he says, who can judge this great people of yours? I can't. I don't know. He says, I don't know how to go in and come out. And so he's willing to admit his immaturity and his liabilities. Royalty, godly royalty, is honest with ourselves about where we really are and what we really need from God and how dependent we are on him for everything. That's real royalty. See, the false royalty says, I'm the king and I got it all figured out. No, you're not a king, you're a fool. You, you don't have it figured out and you're not your own resource and you're not your own savior. And real godly royalty recognizes, God, I need help. Real godly royalty recognizes there are things that I am not naturally gifted with. God, you have to step in. God, you have to put somebody else in this. You have to give me some direction. And we're honest about those things. His perspective recognizes the magnitude of his position. He says he's among God's chosen people. And that the people he serves belong to the Lord and not him. See, when we're godly royalty, we realize our assignment and its importance and its size, and we realize this is God's big business I'm stewarding, not my own. In fact, I am not even my own. I was bought with a price. So real royalty realizes, God, I'm, I'm serving your kingdom and its purposes, and I'm part of something much more important than me. Now, based on his perspective, then he gives God his answer. We would be better off in life if we would respond through some perspective. In life, oftentimes, we react with knee jerks. I feel a punch in the gut with that situation, and I just respond like a punch in the gut. I feel offended, and so I act offended. This made me angry, so I'm going to act in anger. I feel condemnation and regret, so I'm just going to go act like a beat-down dog with no identity. So often, we don't react to life with any perspective. We just take it like it comes and then respond. And that way, people can push us. Situations can push us. The voice of the enemy can push us. Our own flesh can push us. But at some point, if we're royalty in God, we react to life with perspective. And because of Solomon's perspective, he gives God his answer. Therefore, give to your servant, verse 9, an understanding heart to judge your people. that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And then God's 
Answer, verse 12, behold, I've done according to your words. See, I've given you a wise and understanding heart. So here's the royal revolution we need in our lives, the church in America needs so desperately. We need to recognize that royalty walks in wisdom. Been preaching this whole message to now come to the end of it and finally give you the point. Royalty walks in wisdom. Godly royalty. There's other ways we can be directed by life. Impulse, emotions, fears, pressure, our logic can work it all out and our thinking and our mind and then make this decision. Culture can direct us. People can pull on us. But godly royalty lives from wisdom. Our life is marked by wisdom, and here's the beauty of wisdom. Wisdom is a gift. Tell somebody it's a gift. Prove it. Solomon asked for it, and God said he gave it. That's a gift. James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, which is exactly what Solomon did, who gives liberally to all and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It'll be what? Given. Wisdom is given from God. It's a gift, which is amazing because this takes the limits off of wisdom. Does wisdom often come with age? Sure. But you can be wise and be young. Solomon proved it. At 20 years old, he prays a prayer and he says, God, grant me wisdom. And God says, okay, you're going to be the wisest man that anyone has ever known. And he was. Until kings and leaders from all over came to hear his wisdom. So wisdom often comes with age and experience. True, it can be built that way. But it doesn't have to. You can be 10 years old and say, God, I want to live a life of wisdom. And God will say, okay, it's a gift. I will give you wisdom to live in. It is a gift. This is not something we earn. This is not something that we figure out. It comes out of us. No, it's something that God gives to us. You can ask wisdom and God will grant it to you, which then means there's no age limit on wisdom. There's no experience requirement because this is what people do. They limit themselves in God because they say, well, I can't serve over there because I've never done that before. Or I can't help that person because I've never been through what they're going through. But what if you ask God for wisdom? Because maybe there's not somebody handy that's been through what they've been through. But you're handy and you have the heart of God for them. You can ask God wisdom and he's going to use you. You don't have to have... I've met people that feel stunted in their spiritual growth. I'm being as serious as I can. Because they came from ungodly, unwise people. They were raised by people that didn't... you know, And, and now they've come to God and they say, I, I just didn't have a good foundation. But if wisdom is a gift, you don't have to have a good foundation. Praise God if you did, but if you didn't, that doesn't exclude you. You could ask God for wisdom. He can give it to you too. James said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. What are we asking for when we ask God for wisdom? What's the essence of wisdom? And then we're going to close. He says, verse 9, give to your servant an understanding heart 
to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. Wisdom is one of those nebulous kind of unclear ideas. It seems like how do you make wisdom concrete? What is it if God gives it, what will it be? It's a heart that understands how to make judgments and discern what is good and what is evil. Because, see, Solomon already has wisdom and doesn't even recognize it. He's asking God out of a gift he already has and doesn't know it. Because he asked for the very thing that's exactly what he needed. An understanding heart. I'm sorry, overthinkers, but wisdom doesn't come from the mind. It comes from the heart. Because those who would just do things through logic will be able to sit down with a pen and paper and say, we should do this because the facts tell us to. But someone with heart understands, but those figures represent real people. And we have to think through the implications of how people's lives will be affected. That's wisdom. It only comes from the heart. See, because the Hebrew word for understanding here means to hear. And the heart refers to your intellect, your will, and your emotions. So the wise person hears with their mind, their emotions, and then it influences their will. Wisdom doesn't come from intellectual brooding. It comes from hearing God with your heart. Wisdom will not come because you thought about it another three hours. Because the word for understanding here means to hear. That means actually if I want to be wise, I sit with God and I say, God, would you show me? God, would you speak to me? God, would you do it? Now you're entering into wisdom. Because the beauty of it is when God starts showing you, he's seeing the end from the beginning. He knows the details you'll never know. He knows the outcome if you do this and the outcome if you do that. He knows what this person is thinking and that person's motives. And you'll never know those things, but he knows it already. So if you say, God, instead of trying to work it out on my logic and my, my, my human reasoning, I'm going to sit down and ask for your wisdom, then God will give you the resource of what to do out of everything he knows and not the things you know. And in the end, it makes you look pretty smart. Somebody say, how did you know to do that? I didn't. And when you hear from your heart, then you're able to do the next thing he says so that he can make judgments. Wisdom is about hearing from God with your heart and then making judgments. That means coming to a decision. It means moving away from indecision. It means Moving away from halting between two opinions. I'm not sure, and maybe, and I just can't tell. No, a wise person makes judgments. In other words, the wise person puts their heart before God, lets him begin to direct you, and then you decide, this is what I'm going to do. Some of us are caught in indecision, and we've not moved forward because we can't choose this or this. And the enemy would love to keep you right there. In a place of confusion, no commitment, no faith, no steps, no obedience, no cooperation with God, no steps forward, just stay right here in indecision. That's such the work of the enemy. But a king makes judgments. He gets an understanding from the heart of God, and then he says, this is what we're going to do. What does that mean? It means a king doesn't let life rule him. 
He rules in life. At some point, we have to step into the authority Jesus has given us and say, I'm not going to be led the direction of the world. I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God. And I'm going to decide the way that I'm going to move my life. And it's going to be towards God. And here's the judgments we're making. He says, I want to make judgments, God, from an understanding heart to where I can discern good from evil, right and wrong. In other words, this is what wisdom is. You have an understanding heart, and you make the decision between right and wrong, good and evil. It means we look at our lives through the lens of what is the will of God and what is not the will of God. Something is good, something is evil. And I want to follow after what is right, what is good, what is healthy, what is godly. All the way down to small decisions. God, I'm pursuing you in all of it. What is right or what is wrong about this? There's a right answer in God's eyes for everything. God has a plan for your relationships. And I don't just mean the marriage ones. I mean the friendships, the business partnerships. He has a plan for your finances. What is wise is not just, well, what is the most financially beneficial? No, what is good and what is evil? What is the will of God for my money? He has a plan for your words. An understanding heart will reach out to the heart of God to understand, is it right to say this or is it right to say that? He has a plan for your time management, how you spend over here and invest over there, what you, what you listen to, what you feed on, what you spend time with, and you lend yourself to the direction of the wisdom, and instead of being led by, well, I got some time on my hands, I want to binge watch this. I don't know. Maybe if you ask the Holy Spirit, he says, you need some downtime, so watch something for a while and take a break. Maybe he does. But maybe if you submit your heart to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, he says, you know what? Maybe he didn't talk like like this to you, but he talks like this to me. You know what? You can go watch that for three hours if you want to, but actually what you're doing, you're not relaxing. You're trying to forget the things that you actually need to be addressing in your life. You're actually trying to mask my voice where I'm trying to deal with you and you're trying to listen to something else so you can ignore it. That's how God talks to me. But wisdom says, Lord, what do you really want me doing with my time? What's wise? He has a plan for my health. And that involves your health care providers, sure. But it also involves the daily routine of submitting your choices to the Lord. Pastor, you've You've lost, it looks like, about 20 pounds now. What are you doing? What are you on? Mostly it's what am I off, let's be honest. (laughs) Well, I'm really not on a plan because I wasn't on a health journey. I was on an obedience journey. Because the Holy Spirit said, I need you to surrender to me every decision including what you put in your mouth. 
And I'll just tell you something, that's hardcore. I know y'all sanctified folks, but you're not that sanctified, right? I mean, that's, that's hardcore. That's really hardcore. But I just tell you, if you submit every decision like that to the Lord, and before you pick anything up, or before you order off a menu, you, you give a moment to let the Holy Spirit check you or direct, you won't have to do certain of the heavy lifting. Some of it is done for you just by letting him make the decisions. Because it's amazing how much wisdom is locked up in here when you just listen for his voice. We just run ahead without listening. Proverbs 14, 12, Rhonda, you can come, we're done. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its ends is the ways of death. That means there's also a way that is right before God. And that's what we want in every situation. That's wisdom. And when you love wisdom, and when you yield to it, when you're guided by it, you're going to be blessed by it. You'll not live in wisdom and wish you hadn't. Proverbs 3.18 says, speaking, this is Solomon, same Solomon, says this about wisdom. He says, she's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who retain her. Here's what I love about Solomon. He knew who he was as royalty. He knew he was the king. But he also knew he wasn't his own king. So when we walk out of here today, we're going to live like royalty with the high standard and the high calling and with the high authority. And, the, and we're also going to realize, yes, we're kings and priests unto God, but we're not our own king. We derive our authority and our wisdom from another king. And we continually listen and yield and defer to him. And when we do, we reap the benefits and the fruit of wisdom. If we start living like that, that will be a royal revolution in our lives. And I'm believing for that in our lives and in the and then the church. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I thank you that you have given us access to royal wisdom that will take us out of our own abilities and into yours. And I pray today we would be convicted and committed to walking in it in Jesus' name. Now today, instead of having you remain with your eyes closed and your heads bowed and all that, I want you to I'm going to invite you to look up here at this beautiful face before you just drink in. And I want to ask you because I want to look you in the eye and ask you. I'm going to do my best to make it down to every. It's going to be a challenge. I just have to ask you, how's your relationship with God? I'm not asking if you belong to a specific church or you're baptized at a certain age. How are things between you and Jesus? Are you right with the Lord? Has he forgiven you of your sin and you're living a brand new life in him? Are you gonna be perfect? No, we're, we're, he's working on us. That's why we're preaching, we're getting there. But are you walking with Jesus? Have you trusted him and put your life in his hands? If not, what are you trusting to live this life? 
What's your resource? Who's your help? Where's your strength? Where's your wisdom? And beyond that, when you leave this life, where's your eternity? So that's why I just wanted to kind of look at your heart, look in your eyes today and say, are things right with you and the Lord? I had somebody do that with me one time. Just looked me in the eye and said, are things all right between you and the Lord? And they weren't. It was very important that somebody did that for me. So now with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I wonder if there's somebody who would say, Pastor, I'm concerned because I, I'm not in a right relationship with God. Things are not right between me and the Lord, and I know it. If that's you, I just simply want to know to pray for you. I'm going to do that. I'm going to pray for you. But if that's you, would you raise your hand and put it down that way? I will know to pray. Anyone? Oh, how I pray this is true. Oh, how I long for this to be true, that every person in this room is right with the Lord. But if it's not, if you could have raised your hand and you just didn't, or if you're online, I am going to pray and I'm going to encourage you to find a place today and confess your sin to Jesus. Turn from it and then confess Jesus to be your Lord and turn your life over to him. I would encourage you to do that today. Father, I pray for my friends. If there's one that's away from you, I pray that you would continuously speak to them until that moment when they'll turn their life over to you, trust you with everything, turn from their sin and be made new. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're gonna, with me, take the commitment on to walk in wisdom from as you walk out the door, would you stand with me right now? Would you tell the Lord you're committed to wisdom, you're committed to royal wisdom? Father, we are letting you change our lives this morning till we'll live in royal wisdom. Our hearts are for you, and our desire is to walk not in ourselves but in you. So, Lord, we commit to wisdom. Would you give us this morning, like you gave Solomon, Would you give us your wisdom to live in? Give us that understanding heart that hears you and that resolve to make judgments judgments and discern between right and wrong. In Jesus' name, amen.